I want to talk to you this evening as we continue our series on Foundations for Healing. We're talking about mental health right now. And tonight I want to talk to you about how we are created for peace and not for panic. Um, I was reading a story in a little Christian humor magazine that I read from time to time, and it said that there was a family out for dinner, and um, the mother forgot that she had left some eggs on the stove boiling before they left the house. And they calculated the time and figured it had been about two hours, and they were just, they rushed out of the restaurant to go home to turn the burner off the stove. And she had another son that happened to stop by the house, and when he walked in the house, the the pan was burnt, the eggs had exploded to the ceiling all over the place, and he just left a note on the stove and didn't clean it up. He says, Mom, your eggs look like they were done, so I just left them for you and left the house. And you can imagine the panic that the house might burn down or all the number of things that happen. There are a lot of things that happen in our life that can cause us panic from time to time. Um, I felt the panic, you felt the panic just this today, and I hope you'll join me in prayer. But uh, today, our grandson, our fourth grandson, uh, Bear, stopped breathing, and they had to rush him to the hospital. He has a severe uh, respiratory infection, and um, of course, we all immediately went to prayer. I was in Detroit, and uh, uh, the kids are calling, we're praying, and, and asking others to pray with us. And and God protected, God brought him through. We still appreciate your prayers. He's a sick little baby tonight, and we want to see a miracle of healing, but Chris and Rachel really need your prayers as well this evening, so if you'd pray for them. I can remember once when I was a young dad with one of our children, Becky called me and said there was blood in his diaper, and I said, "Rush, you go straight to the pediatrician's office, I'll meet you there. And we got there, and our pediatrician was laughing, of course, we're both panicked and he just turned around and he said to us you need to buy better diapers these are cheap diapers and the dye in them turns red from the urine and so trying to save a little bit of money caused us a moment of panic but we all have things from time to time it might be like a family in our church tonight that their their mom is in the hospital and has had to have uh, surgery to relieve some pressure on her brain this evening. And so I was just praying with them a few moments ago that God would bring peace into their lives and bring peace into their families. So there's any numbers of things that if we're not careful, we can live in a state of panic. There's this, as a matter of fact, I would put it this way, there's it seems like for the last 20 years, there's been a rumble of panic always. Ever since 9-11, folks have been worried or concerned. And, and every single day, those kinds of issues from family issues to other issues that come across my desk of people asking me to pray and many times saying to them, don't panic. God didn't create you for panic. He created you for peace. Well, it's one thing to tell people that. It's another thing, and hopefully over the years I've taught enough on that, that people can anchor their faith. But I'd like to kind of walk you through that this evening. In the March edition this year, uh, March of 2021, in Inc. Magazine, there was an interview with Mike McBride, excuse me, Jonathan McBride. Mike McBride is a close friend of mine. Jonathan McBride, who is the director of the Presidential Personnel Office, and they were discussing leadership with Mr. McBride, and they were asking him about the traits and the qualities that they look for in leaders. And this is very interesting. I want you to listen carefully to this. Mr. McBride said, you want people who will speak truth to power. In a crisis, you don't want to be yes. But the main thing is to tune into people who are calm, 
people who can think clearly under pressure. At the White House, we used to tell a story about an astronaut who posed a question to a group of people. Say you're in the International Space Station and suddenly your oxygen goes out. You only have 10 seconds before you start to lose consciousness. What do you do? And he said the people in the room began blurting out all kinds of questions, emergency responses. And he said, finally, when everybody had given their responses, he said, he didn't write any of them down. He just simply says, no, you want to think for eight seconds. So you only have to make one move. And boy, that just really gripped me because I was able to imagine for just a moment, especially if you've ever watched the movie about the Apollo 9 astronauts who were losing oxygen and they were able to communicate and get, you know, back safely to Earth. I was able to imagine for just a moment, what would it be like if you only had 10 seconds before you lost consciousness, you couldn't do anything? Thinking for eight seconds, so you only had to make one move. What if we lived our way lived our lives in Christ in such a way that whenever we faced the worst situation we could imagine, that we didn't panic. Now, most of the self-help books you'll read, and, 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 and I, I will freely admit I agree with this, most of the negative things that people imagine, they never happen. Most of the things that people are afraid of, they never happen in their lives. Recently, I was talking with someone and I shared that with them, and they said, said to me, you know, in my life, that's not true. He said, I sometimes feel like Job. Everything that I ever feared would happen has happened in my life. And they went through a list of things. I said, all of this has happened in your life, and they're younger than I am. They go, yes. And we just begin to pray together and just begin to thank God because here's this man whose faith has remained strong, his testimony and witness has remained strong, but he does not live his life in panic. Just a few moments ago, I got off the phone with another phone call from a friend of mine who's lived on the very edge of where faith would take you for so many years, and now he's a much older man. And we were talking about the goodness of God. And when I hear him talk about the goodness of God, He's not lived a life of comfort, and he's not lived a life of, of, of pleasure, but he has sought the kingdom of God, and now that he's an elderly man, hearing his stories of faith, and I was just so glad that he called me today, and so when I was able to return his call and hear that raspy voice from all those years of preaching in foreign lands, you know, he's a hero to me because he's another one that I've learned. God created us for peace and not for panic. So I want to read the entire Psalm 27 to you tonight. It's in your outline if you want to follow along. And if you haven't, and I guess I should have already said this, you can download our app at uh, the App Store from either the App Store for um, Apple or for the, what's Helen called? Android. Google Android. I really had a brainstorm there for just a moment. So here we go. Psalms 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? Underline that. The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Underline that. When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Underline that. Even if I am attacked, 
I will remain confident. Underline that. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head above my enemies. Excuse me. I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. And in his sanctuary, I will offer praises with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come, talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my mother and father abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident, underline that, I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Father, I'm asking you in the precious name of Jesus, would you open our minds and our hearts and our eyes to behold wondrous things that we've never seen before out of your word. May this psalm, O Lord, serve to strengthen us and edify us and build us up in our faith, Lord. God, would you prepare us tonight for those times that will inevitably come as we live our lives. The Lord would cause us panic, but we can live in peace. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, thanks for reading with me tonight. You know, this psalm, this particular psalm, is all about fear and worry and anxiety. And this psalm tells us how we can live with it and how we can face it and overcome it. One of the things I love about the Bible is the realism of the Bible. I love the fact that when you read the Bible, you're not reading a glorified self-help book, but you're reading the Word of God. You're reading how to respond to the real lives of situations. You remember I said just a few moments ago, if you read a self-help book, most of the time they're going to tell you because the bad things that happen in life, you know, they typically don't, the things that we fear in life don't happen, then they tell us not to even think about it, but instead we should visualize the kind of future we want. We should visualize the good things we want. And I don't have a problem with that. But here's the deal you need to see in this psalm. David visualized the worst that could happen in his life. David wasn't visualizing a future that was pain-free. David was beginning to think about the worst things that could happen. You don't read that in a self-help book, but you do read that in the Bible. He wasn't surrounded at the time of writing this psalm by a mighty army, but he wrote these words, though a mighty army surrounds me, verse 3, my heart will not be afraid, even if I'm attacked. Now, the people that attacked David, they didn't just attack him with words. They attacked him with spears and swords, and, you know, they, they really wanted to take his life. He said, I will remain confident. In verse 10, he says, and this is just beyond imagination for me, 
Even if my mother and father abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. I think what David is doing is he's visualizing the very worst thing that could happen in life. And in doing so, he comes up with a strategy that helps him to live free from fear. And you can live free from fear tonight. I, I want to say it again. We can live free from fear. But you might say, well, pastor, didn't you say for just a f- few minutes ago that you, know, you were afraid, that you got a f- couple of frightening phone calls? Of course I did. But the first thing that I've learned to do is to go to the Lord in prayer and begin to pray about that. And deep in my heart, there's this abiding peace. God is going to answer my prayer. I know the Lord hears and I trust him. And David had a strategy that I want to share with you tonight from this psalm of how he dealt with the things that cause him panic in life. You see, when David says he wants to dwell in the temple, he wants to live in the temple, David couldn't live in the temple. Only the priest could live in the temple. David was not of the tribe of Levi. And if you know anything about Jewish history, you understand that if you don't, then Israel was divided into 12 tribes. One of those tribes was called the priestly tribe. Their father was Levi, and only the Levites could dwell there. Secondly, the presence of God was associated with the temple, but it was associated with the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Holy of Holies. And again, those of you that, you know, you've been around here, you know what I'm talking about, but just in case you're watching and you don't know, There was this small inner room where the Ark of the Covenant, you know, if you ever watched Indiana Jones, you know about the Ark of the Covenant, but it's a lot different than what they pictured in the movie. But the Ark of the Covenant was in this tiny room separated by this thick curtain from everybody else where only the high priest could go in once a year. But literally, that was where the presence of God was considered to be. And you say, well, pastor, just a couple of weeks ago, didn't you say that God is everywhere? He's omnipresent? Absolutely. That doesn't change anything. Because what David was saying is not, can I live in the holy of holies? David was saying, Lord, I want to dwell in your presence. Look at verse 4 with me, and I think that's in your outline as well tonight. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. What he's asking for is, God, I want to dwell in the unbroken experience of your presence. When I asked Becky to marry me, what I was saying to Becky was, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I want to spend every moment of time that I can with you. I wanted that unbroken fellowship, that unbroken romance of love. The thing that that David is after is the face of God. Now, now, listen, this is important. He's after the face of God. When we talk to one another, we don't look at each other's shoulders. We don't look at each other's kneecaps. We don't look at each other's, especially don't look at mine tonight. We don't look at each other's stomachs. But we look at each other's face because our faces are the gateway to the hearts of one another. That's how you know people. For instance, on a Sunday morning when the musicians are playing and the team is leading us in worship, 
you might say you've been in the presence of, of Becky and Lisa and Dan and Mark and whoever else was on the team. You might say you've been in their presence, but you haven't really been in their presence until after the service you were to walk up to them and look them in the eye and say, thank you so much for your ministry this morning. You know, how do you do it? How do you come on a Sunday morning early and help lead us in worship? What drives you? What motive? As you get before their face, then you get in their presence and you have a gateway. You don't talk to Dan and look at his guitar. You don't talk to Becky and look at the keyboard, but you look at him face to face. And that's what David is saying. I want that relationship with you, Lord. You're in broken presence. So David says three things in this psalm, and I'll go over them real quickly with you. He's saying that God's presence, number one, is my priority. God's presence is my priority. You see, more important than anything else in his life was his relationship with God. That was priority number one for him. I have a friend who has a ministry, a missions ministry, and he calls it priority one. And the priority one is getting the gospel out to the whole world. That's his number one priority. We have a, 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 our young people have a missions effort called Speed the Light. They have one priority. That's evangelism. If it has anything to do with anything else, then speed the light doesn't do it. It has to demonstrate that it's used for evangelism. It may be used for feeding. It may be used for a radio or television. But it still's primary purpose has to be evangelism. That's the number one priority. So if someone wants uh, an, a, a piece of equipment or a car that, that speed the light could buy, but they're not going to use it for evangelism, then they have to go somewhere else. And it's the greatest missionary tool agreed upon by so many other denominations who've tried to model what we're doing with Speed the Light in the Assemblies of God. The second thing he says about God's presence is, is my delight. I delight in your presence. There's an old song, an old chorus that was out back in the 70s. I delight in your presence, O Lord. I delight in your presence, O Lord. I delight, I delight in your presence. And that's all it said. But I can remember when people would sing that worshipfully and quietly around the altar as they enjoyed the presence of God. Well, there's a lot of things that I delight in. I mean, I, I delight in good food. I delight in good friendship. But my number one priority, what makes my marriage, what makes my relationship as a father and a grandfather, what makes my relationship as a pastor, what brings power, I pray, for my messages is not because I've studied or, or worked on it or written it, but it's being in the presence of God and hopefully coming out with the power of God. He's my delight. And the third thing, he's saying the presence of God is going to constantly be in my thoughts. Now, let me just be real frank with you. Whenever I'm away from my wife and my family, I'm constantly thinking about them. Whenever I'm away from this church, we're on vacation, I'm thinking about the church. And my family have to say, Dad, no talking about the church. No talking about preaching or anything like that. When we go to another church on our vacation, it was really tempting. I got to say, really tempting to log on to Facebook during their church service and watch our church service because I knew there was going to be good preaching back here at this church. So don't ask me where I went to church at. But the point is, it was really because this is where my thoughts were at. The Bible says in Psalms 19 and verse 1, the heavens proclaim the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship. Now, what am I saying there? David's delight was not in the stars. You're not going to know God 
from the stars. You're not going to know God from the craftsmanship of nature. To be in the presence of craftsmanship is not the same thing as a personal relationship. I've gone with Becky to music museums, and I have looked at Stradivarius violins. And I got to tell you, when my wife sees those things, oh, her whole countenance changes. Her face lights up, and she goes, oh, I just wish I could play it. I've watched her light up in museums as we've gone to places at uh, harpsichords that Beethoven played or Mozart played, and her face just lit up. We were in one museum, and there was a um, Steinway, and that someone very you know, famous had played on that Steinway. I was ready to move on, but Becky just stood there looking at it, and um, finally the docent walked over to Becky and says, do you play? And she said, yes. Yeah. She says, would you like to play this piano? It's been a while since it's been played. And Becky said, I would love to. And so they peeled back the, 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 the stuff off of the keyboard, and Becky sat down, and suddenly the music was filled. The museum was filled with music, beautiful music, that Becky was playing on that Steinway piano. And I could tell for a moment she was having a real experience, but we walked away from that piano. Even though we had been in the presence of craftsmanship, we were not in the presence of the Creator. And to say, I can be outside and commune with God, you may commune with God, but if all you're doing is fascinated by nature, if all you're doing is fascinated with the gifts of God, then you are more consumed with the craft than you are with the craftsman. Now, I hope that makes sense. You see, too many of us, we love the gifts of God. They're good gifts. They're good things that God blesses us with. But we equate our happiness on those good gifts. Remember my friend I told you who's lived on the edge? He's never equated the goodness of God with the personal comforts of this life. He's always acquainted the goodness of God with his presence and his anointing upon his ministry. And it's been very, very fruitful. Look at Psalms 19, verse 7 with me. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The, cre the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord bringing are right, bringing joy to the heart. And the commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. In verse 14 in Psalms 19, he says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, if I live in the presence of God and I allow his word to counsel and instruct me, I am prepared for those things that David imagined. Though an army surround me, though my mother and father abandoned me. Why was he prepared for that? Because as a young boy, he had been preparing himself in the word and composing psalms. And when he met the bear and the lion, he was prepared later to meet Goliath. And when he met Goliath, he was prepared later to meet Saul when he tried to pursue him without touching Saul. And when he did become king, he was prepared to expand the kingdom because of how God had prepared him through the word. Now, let me say this about anxiety. Anxiety according to mental health specialists, is the number one mental health disease in the nation right now. The number one mental, it's the number one mental health disease on college campuses. This is the most comfortable, the safest, 
that our country has been in years. Less crime, less murder, less rape. I could go down all the statistics how they've declined across the nation. And yet we're more anxious. There's this rumble of panic through the core of our nation. My vulnerability is directly connected to what I love most in life. That's the reason that there are some branches of service you can't serve in if you're in debt because you're vulnerable to a bribe. That's the reason that there's some careers you can't be in if, if they find out that you're a person who has been involved in some sort of leak or scandal. My vulnerability, though, as a Christian, what causes me anxiety is like smoke from a fire. If you see smoke from a fire and you know that it's not supposed to be a fire in the forest, then you follow the smoke to find the source of the fire. It's not enough to say there's a fire. I mean, there's, there's smoke. You want to follow the smoke to the fire. So when you have anxiety, you need to trace anxiety. What is it that you're afraid of? Follow the smoke down to the fire. And you will always find as a Christian that the fire is because you've allowed something good to become an idol. Your home is a good thing. Food is a good thing. Books are a good thing. Whatever it is that you, there are many, many good things in life. But when we turn the craft into our idols, we're no longer loving the craftsman. And so it's not enough to be in the presence of seeing the stars in the sky and saying, oh, there's a God. We have to want to be in the presence of God. Because of that, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, that's not in your outline, but because of that, when I was driving back from Detroit today, I thought of a verse of Scripture. David, I mean, excuse me, the Apostle Paul says, I have upon me the daily burden of, the anxiety for, of, of my anxiety for the churches. And I thought, hmm, what was Paul saying? A little anxiety keeps me dependent upon the Lord. A little anxiety reminds me I cannot let even the church or my ministry or my marriage or my family become an idol in my life. And then, beloved, hear me. I'm all about marriage and family. It's probably the number one thing I've spoke on here at Woodland Church. However, you cannot let your marriage, you cannot let your wife or your husband, you cannot let your children become an idol and put them before God because your vulnerability to panic is directly proportional to what is number one in your life. And if your priority number one in life is the Lord and his presence, then even though an army surrounds you, or even if your mother and father abandon you, David uses words like this. I will be confident. I will not be afraid because nothing can shake God. And that's the key thing to remember. So when I turn my thoughts to God, peace will overwhelm my soul. When I turn my thoughts to God, peace will overwhelm my soul. And when I'm in his presence, now this is key. This is what we call prayer. This is what we call worship. This is what we call communing with God, communion with God. And yes, you can. I love what the actress uh, Lily Tomlin said one time. She says, why do we say that one of the most sane things you can do is talk to God, but we say the most insane thing is to say, God, talk to you. God will talk to you. Sometimes it's an impression in your spirit, 
But the main way God talks to you is through the Bible. And you move. Now follow. This is important. If you will follow this prescription tonight, you can move from knowing about God's holiness, from knowing about God's love, from knowing about God's peace, to experiencing God's holiness, to experiencing God's love, to experiencing God's peace. Let me go back to another illustration I used. You were in the presence of the praise and worship team, but until you go up and talk to the praise and worship team and look them in the face and have conversation, you've not really been in their presence. You could say, I saw Dan, and I saw Lisa, and I saw Haley, I saw Becky, I saw Mark, I saw Addison at church. But you weren't in their presence. You saw them at church. I can say I saw a lot of people at church, but the people that I was in their presence was the people that I had the opportunity to talk to. A man came up to me today. He says, can I give you a hug? And I said, absolutely. So we hugged one another. And we sat down, and we had a conversation for just, I was in his presence. So how do I do that? Number one, you got to get the truth about God from the Bible. You got to get the truth of God from the Bible, not from Facebook, (laughs) not from Instagram, not from a catchy little sign on the side of the road, not for some philosopher, but get the truth about God from the Bible. So when you read Psalms 27 tonight, here's what I I challenge you to do. And if you want these questions, you know, I'll send them to you, but just email me here at at the church, info at woodland.church, and I will email these questions to me. But I would ask questions like this. What does this verse tell me about God? What does this verse show me about God? How does this verse reveal God's love to me? God's holiness to me, God's care for me, God's compassion for me, whatever word you want to use there, just what does this verse tell me about God? Then I would ask myself some personal questions because you want to move it from knowledge to application. Do I really understand how loving God is? Do I really understand how holy God is? Do I really understand how compassionate it is? Then you want to move towards obedience and ask yourself the question, am I living this out? Am I experiencing this truth? What happens when I forget this truth? And do you know how many times with, especially with Christians, now I don't do this with lost people because I don't expect them to know. But do you know how many times with Christians, when they're panicked, I have to stop and say, okay, I've listened to you now. You've vented, you've cried, I've cried with you. Let's stop. What does the Bible say? What's the number one question we always ask at Woodland when we're not sure about something? What does the Bible say about it? And there's something about talking to believers and taking them back to the Word of God that we trust in that reveals the truth about God. Listen, the truth about God and the lies of the enemy, the lies of our heart, the false emotions that we are experiencing. That's the reason that scripture memorization is so important. Because then you can begin to challenge yourself. And it's, I know it's a stretch, and, and you may just sit there thinking, I can't do that, I don't have the time. It just depends. Do you want to live in peace, or do you want to live with panic? Do you want to live like David 
who from time to time was confronted by enemies with real swords and real knives? Do you want to live at peace like David, who was at times surrounded by armies? As far as we know, his parents never abandoned him. Or do you want to live for the peace of God so that whatever comes your way, you're prepared? I want that peace. I intend to live in that peace. I intend to abide in that peace. And I rebuke every lie from the pit of hell that tries to rob me or my congregation of that peace. How do you do it? You get the truth. Then secondly, you retain the truth of God. It's called journaling. And I'm running out of time. And so let me just be real quick with the third one. You need to journal down what you're thinking, what you're reading. Third, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Let me read to you that verse, uh, verse 4 from the Amplified Version. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the Amplified Version, it kind of brings out some of the meanings of the Hebrew words in the Old Testament or the Greek words in the New Testament. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek or inquire for, and insistently require. That makes me think of the woman who wouldn't give up that Jesus talked about, the widow who just wouldn't give up that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence all the days of my life to behold and gaze upon the beauty, the sweet attractiveness and delightful loveliness of the Lord and to meditate, consider, and inquire in his temple. Now, sometimes people will tell me this. Listen, I'm laughing because this is so funny to me. People will tell me, I can't do that. Cross their arms. And you know, the moment they cross their arms, you know they're getting real defensive. I can't do that. I go, you do it all the time. No, I don't. You do. You ever remodeled a kitchen in your head? You ever imagined a sunny day on the beach in the wintertime in Michigan? Or have you ever imagined being out on the lake catching a big fish and it's like a shot of adrenaline in your arm as you're working that fish in? Or do you remember when all you could think about was your girlfriend or your fiance? You were gazing in your mind upon the beauty of that kitchen, that catching that fish or that sunny beach or the woman or the man that you married. You filled your mind with it. If you were in love, you could taste her kiss on your lips. You could smell her perfume, even though she may have been a thousand miles away. You meditated upon her. And when she said yes, and even though you were separated by a long distance, you rested in that because you trusted one another. Some of you are grinning in here right now. You know what I'm talking about. You know how to do this. You do it all the time. You think about the new car you want. And you can feel yourself driving it. You can feel it accelerating. I'm getting out of the spirit, so I need to get back to the word here. And then finally tonight, when I obey the Lord, I will live in peace. I obey the Lord, I will live in peace. Let me tell you something I've learned. I've all my life, since I became a Christian, I've sought wisdom. When I read, the first time I ever read and saw in the book of Proverbs that wisdom was worth more than bags of silver and gold, according to the King James Version. I remember saying to my dad, if it's worth more, then I'm going to get it. And, you know, it just seemed the, the book of Proverbs was inviting me to, to go for it. And so I've sought to apply my heart to wisdom. But here's what I learned. As a young man, I started learning all this stuff, and I became very legalistic. And that was easy to do because the background I came out of was a very legalistic background, not a lot of grace. And what I've come to learn is to fill your head with knowledge without obeying it will always lead to legalism and Phariseeism. One thing have I desired, and that's to live in the presence of the Lord. 
Let me just be real blunt. It's about serving God. The success of my people sometimes ask me, says, how has your marriage been successful? It's because I want to serve Becky. I want Becky to be uber successful. My goal, and part of my board is sitting here tonight, my goal is more about Becky making Becky successful than leading this church successful. Because if I work to make my wife successful, I will be successful in just about everything else I do. 95% of marriage is serving one another. And that's the problem with most marriages today. We want to be served rather than serve. David goes on then to say, I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. Whatever it is that you're facing, God wants your head held high above it. I'm in verse 6. This should be in your outline. And in his sanctuary, I will offer praises with shouts of joy and singing and praising the Lord. One more verse and we're going to close. In Psalms 28, 27 and verse 8, he goes, My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. You've talked to your therapist. You've talked to your doctor. You're taking your medications, whether it's Xanax or Prozac, and that's good. I'm not against any of that. Don't stop. But if you're not talking to God, the Xanax, the Prozac, the therapist, the doctor is not going to bring the peace that you need in your heart. Jesus gives you an invitation. He said, to all who will receive me, I will give the power to become sons or daughters of God. And when you know that you're a child of a God, you will live like a king's kid, unafraid of anything. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much, and I know that there are people tonight that are facing panic. They are living with turmoil. Lord, they are struggling. And I pray that tonight that they will just go back through this psalm, back through these notes, and meditate upon this. And before they go to their beds this evening, that, Lord, they'll spend time in your presence, worshiping you, not just listening to the word, not just reading the word, but applying it to themselves and living it out for your glory and honor. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching tonight. You know, if you enjoyed this, please like and share it. There's somebody you know that needs to hear this message tonight. God bless you. And we should be off. I really, I, my time gets away from me. I hate this 30-minute time limit, but... Um, you probably like it because it makes me get to the point a lot quicker. <laughs> okay, any conversation, any questions um, on...